0: Good morning, Boker Tov, to everyone. Welcome back to our weekly Parsha Perspectives for today, where we analyze the weekly Parsha, trying to extract lessons for our contemporary times. Messages, the Torah portion, is always relevant to whatever it is that we're going through. Nothing is by coincidence or random, but the way it falls out always has lessons, and that's what we'll try to do this week, uh, today, as always. This week we have the privilege of studying Parshas Vo'ez which appears in the Artscroll Stone Chumash on page 958. As always, a very special thank you to our super generous sponsors of the Parsha Series for the Year, Avi and Becky Katz, dear friends. In memory of Becky's father, David Grossman, Lili Nishmas David Ben Menachem Manish. if you'd like to sponsor a particular week within the series, please be in touch with our office. We would welcome your sponsorship and we welcome your support. Thanking you in advance uh, for it. Okay. The parsha begins. Moshe Rabbeinu turns to Hakadosh Baruch Hu and he pleads, he begs in that moment and at that time he asked Hashem, saying, "Hashem Moshe Rabbeinu turns and he pleads and he begs and he cajoles and he says, "Hashem, I dedicated my whole life." This incorrigible, impossible people, I've led them through the desert, through the wilderness. I was your agent to take them out of Mitzvahim and my lifelong dream. What I've devoted myself to is simply to enter your land. To which Chazal wondered, did Moshe Rabbeinu want to eat the all-you-can-eat breakfast at the Waldorf? Did Moshe Rabbeinu want the all-you-can-eat papagayos after the nine days? Why did Moshe Rabbeinu so desperately want to enter Eretz Yisrael? It was to fulfill the mitzvah at Zalui Ba'aretz. Because there are commandments that are fulfilled, that are designated, opportunities that arise only in the land of Israel. And for that, Moshe so desperately wanted to answer. Desperately wanted to answer. So, so Moshe tells the Kodesh Hu, You've shown me your greatness and your strong hand. What power in the heaven and the earth? I can perform anything. So you can do anything. You can certainly forgive me. You can do anything. You can certainly invite and allow me to enter. Let me in. Let me in. Let me in. Let me see. It's not a coincidence. We read Vaeschanan. Tvarum we read before Tishbev. Vaeschanan is usually Shabbos Nachamu. Vaeschanan includes the section that we read actually Tishbev of morning. And here, what does it represent? What does it reflect? Moshe is longing—a longing It should be in every one of us, whether you live in Israel or you don't yet live in Israel. We should identify with and feel connected to. It should be who we are, that longing. For the first time in a very long time, Jews and chutzlards know that feeling of longing. Not so easy to travel, not so easy to arrive, not so easy to go for your year in Israel, not so easy to make aliyah. So many this summer and more who are in the pike who simply need the flights to be able to travel. Like Moshe Rabbeinu. What did Hashem answer Moshe? His heartfelt please. Hashem turns to Moshe and he says, Enough! Ganuk! Stop asking! Stop asking! Don't ask me again! Like many of us have said to our own children who nudge us and mutcher us and won't let it go. shine enough! Enough! Let it go! Drop it! Don't ask again! It's not happening. And this whole opening section of our parsha begs for us to interpret it. What in the world is going on here? Moshe asks over and over and over. And the Kaddish Baruch Hu rejects him. His most loyal servant, Moshe, one of the axioms of our faith, is to believe that Moshe is categorically different and superior to every other human being. And yet Moshe Rabbeinu is not heard on this one request, on this one plea. It's as if the Kaddish Baruch Hu is even playing with him. Playing with him. What is going on here? What is going on here and why? And then Hashem makes it even worse because He says, You can't go in. You can't go in. You don't get to make aliyah. You don't get to cross the border. You don't get to get an Israeli passport. You don't get to get the Israeli all-you-can-eat breakfast. You're not going to the kotel. You're not going to Arabayat. Nothing. You don't get to go in. But you know what you can do, Moshe? You know what you got? Alei Rosh HaPizgah. Climb the mountain. V'sayin And look. Look around, west, north, south, and east with your eyes, but, but, You can look as an outsider. You don't get to cross in. You don't get to be an insider. And Not only do you not get to go, your successor, Yeshua, it's time, it's time to get him ready. It's time to bring him on board. You will have a, a worthwhile successor. You'll have a worthwhile successor in your stead. What is going on here? I'm not going to take the time now. I have an eight minute from last year or two years ago where we addressed this question. Hashem seems to pour salt in Moshe Rabbeinu's wounds. You can go on rabbayefimgomer.org or Why yu.torah and listen to this eight minutes. Rabbi Menachem Liebtag has a suggestion why Hashem wants him to look in every direction. He's imitating Avram Avinu. Other answers are given why he's looking in every direction. Well, has a suggestion. Maybe if you're looking east, you'll see the land that Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh will take up residence in. They'll expand the boundary of the border of Israel. And Ki'ilu, you got to go in Moshe. So I didn't let you all the way in, but Ki'ilu, I let you in part of the way. And we offered our own suggestion that Hashem was telling Moshe, perhaps, perhaps, don't look where you don't get to go. Look how far you've come. See, what's the goal of looking east? East is behind them. East is outside of Israel, west from that vantage point is directly into Eretz Israel. Even if you can't enter, at least you can, set your eyes, climb the mountain and look down and what a view! What a view! Twice in my life I went skydiving, I jumped out of an airplane, both were in Eretz Israel. First of all, I trusted Khanim in Israel more than anywhere else, but I tell you, the view is pretty good when you climb that mountain, when you look down, when you're descending in your flight into Tel Aviv, the view is pretty good, Eretz Yisrael is magnificent. So Moshe Rabbeinu, but why look east? Why look away? And perhaps Hashem was telling Moshe, don't only look, don't only gaze and peer where you can't get to. Look at how far you've come. Measure your life by how far you've come, not by where you didn't get to go. We have that choice in life. You know, what will bring us happiness is not what we don't have. What brings us happiness is what we have. You can focus, you can look on you know, I was talking to a Hassan and Kala whose wedding is coming up soon, and I said to them, don't look at who's not coming, look at who's coming. Don't look at who can't stay, look who stays. Don't look at who hasn't responded, look who's responded. Don't look at who hasn't given a gift, appreciate those who gave a gift. In life we can look at what is not, or we can look at what is. And Hashem is saying to Moshe Rabbeinu, climb the mountain and, and look, give a kick, you can look in, but also look east. Don't only focus on where you didn't get to go, focus on how far how far you have come. But why does Hashem dispel Moshe's tefillah? What is Moshe trying to appeal? So if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, and if you want to hear that whole insight, as I said, it's eight minutes online. Rashi says, mm-hmm. Moshe turns to HaKadosh Baruch and Va'Eschanan, He pleads, he implored Hashem in that moment says Rashi. Vaeschanan, the root of the word Vaeschanan, is not just Davin. He didn't just open the sitter, He didn't just zog to Hillel. Vaeschanan is from the lashon chinun. Chinun means matnas chinam, which means something for nothing. Moshe asked Hashem. Please be gracious and kind. Please give, even though I'm undeserving, I'm unworthy. Even though the righteous have so many zechuyos, the righteous have such merits which are rely upon, the righteous have what to be able to cash in on. Yet, yet, they don't do that. They don't dip into their bank account. They ask for a matnas They ask to the ribon shalolam, for free for free. And that's the root of the word, chinun v'eschanan. This is one of the forms of tefillah. We have 13 synonyms for tefillah. We've shared many times and we have online. We learned the entire book, Sha'arim et tefillah. Rav is Zatzal. His insights that Yalkat Shimoni quotes what seem to be 13 synonyms. Rina, Bitz, tzaka Zaka. We have so many synonyms for tefillah. Each one has a subtle difference. Each one represents tefillah, the prayer coming from another place. And one of them is chinun. It's worth reviewing in Sha'ar HaMetzfilah what that means. But I want to share with you briefly this morning the insights of the Chalban. The Chalban who passed away almost a year ago of Chaim ben Cohen, the milkman. He was known as the Chalban. He died at 84 years old. He was a milkman, a clean-shaven, wearing a blue shirt, worked in a milk factory. He was a milkman. Little did people know for many years that in fact he was a great Kabbalist and an extraordinary Tamil Chacham. But he was discovered, he was revealed, he gave shiurim, and he wrote Svaram. And in one of his Svaram Talalei on the Parsha, on Parsha's vaeschanan, his opening essay is on this concept of Mat chinam. And I just want to share with you his insight. Parsha Gadullah he says, He says, Our Parsha is all about faith in davening. The very opening word of our parsha is all about tapping into the depths, believing that Hashem is listening, to turn to Him, to turn to him, to Him, lean on Him, to rely on Him, to depend on Him, to thank Him, to protest Him, to object to Him, however it means, but to see His presence in our life and to talk to Him. Every relationship needs communication, and the relationship with God is no different. It needs us to communicate with Him. Our parsha is the blueprint. Our parsha is the formula. If you want to know how to daven as a Jew, how to pray as a Jew, if you want to know how to pray, this is our parsha. It gives us the answer. It gives us the answer. As the parsha will go on and tell us, What nation is God so accessible, so close? Ka like God? Bechol karenu elav. You know, Hashem is accessible. He's available. What does it take? What do you need to do? Bechol karenu elav. All you have to do is call out. All you have to do is talk to Him. All you have to do is talk to him and he is listening. You know, it's hard to get an audience with powerful people, to get an audience with influencers, to get an audience with celebrities, to get an audience with powerful people. It's hard, it's hard. How many phone calls have I gotten in the last two weeks of people whose children's passports are expiring and they're scheduled to go to Israel for their year? What are they going to do? And you know what? Even the powerful people say they can't help right now. It's backlog and phase is closed and you can't get in. So you're talking to the wall. You could ask and you could ask over and over again, but you're talking to the wall. But the Rebona shalom, you don't need an appointment. And the Rebona shalom, you don't need an invitation. And the Almighty, you don't need to have protection. You. you don't need to be able to find favor. Our parsha says, who is Krovim Elav? Who's close to God? B'chol Kareinu Elav, whoever calls out to him. We say that's it's an ashray. We say it in Ashley. HaShem is close to all who call Him, to all who call out Him in truth. David Melech undoubtedly got that from this Pasuk, this verse in our, in our Pasha. By the way, there's one day, there's one day where He's not accessible, where He's not available, where the door is closed, where He's not interested. He is so frustrated, and He's so disappointed, and He so badly needs a break from us, that there's one day He closes the door and He's not interested. In Eicha, in Eicha, the Navi tells us, sasam Tfilasi, Hashem silenced our prayers. The reason we don't wear talism, and tefill, and tish above mourning is because those 24 hours, God says, we're on break. We're alienated from one another. I can't live with you. You violated my trust. You disappointed me. You've come up so short. We need to work it out. I need some time. I need a day. Sasam Hashem silenced our prayer. We don't wear towels fill and It's only in the afternoon, only when mincha comes that we can get up, we can sit on the chair. So our parsha, which normally comes, which this year comes after Tisha B'Av, is describing who is Hashem close to, all who close to, all who call to Him. It's a long essay at several paces. We don't have time to go through it because our parsha is rich with so many ideas that I want to explore together. But I just want to bring to you, why is it so hard to daven? Because there's an illness, there's a weakness within inside us. And the weakness that's inside us is, we're not sure someone's listening. You ever on the phone with someone, and they're quiet for too long on the other end? And when they're quiet for too long on the other end, what do we all do? We say, are you there? Do you hear me? Yeah? Something, some indication. Groan, grunt, say a word, answer me, give me some indication. Why? Because there are few more foolish things in the world than feeling like we're talking and nobody's listening. To feel like we're pouring out our heart and there's no one on the other end. And that's at the core of why we find it hard to pray. You can't see or feel or touch or smell Hashem, so you're talking and it's frustrating. You feel it's difficult to know that He's really there on the other end. Our mouth knows God, our mouth is moving. It's saying the words. We know Hashem is there on the other end. However, our heart struggles our heart struggles to confidently feel that he, in fact, is listening. So he goes on and he talks about this Rashi. It's a matnas and the tzaddikim, the righteous, do not tap into their account. They do not deplete the schuyos that they have, the merits that they have, in order to get what they're praying for. But they ask for matnas Why would they ask for matnas And he develops the idea, again, it's a lengthy piece. We don't have time to read the whole thing inside. I'm happy to share it with anyone who would like. But he develops the idea of the following. You see, if a person asks for a favor from another, And they say, you know what? I've done favors for you. I have merits. I have deposits in the account. Simply take it out of my deposits. Then what is the nature of the relationship? It is completely transactional. It's a transactional relationship. Hashem, you asked me to do A, B, and C. Not only did I do A, B, C, I did D, E, and F as well. So therefore, I've got some credit with you. Take it out of my credit with you. Now I'm asking you to do X, Y, or Z. Take it out of my credit with you. When a person has that attitude and that relationship with Hashem, it's a purely transactional relationship, which is a very superficial relationship. The tzaddikim, the righteous, ask they want a mat And why do they want a mat Because they say, Hashem, I'm asking you for something I don't deserve. And I am unworthy. And don't give it to me because I have credit. Don't give it to me because my bank account with you is full. Give it to me as a reflection, as an expression of our love, of our bond, of our loyalty, of our connection. The mat means it's not transactional. It's not in exchange. It's not because I have credit. Do it because you love me, and because I love you. Do it as an expression and reflection of the special closeness and connection of our relationship. And that is a form of tefillah we have called va'eschanan. Chinun, sometimes we turn to Hashem, we say, Hashem, I'm totally unworthy, I'm totally undeserving, I'm grossly inadequate. Even though, yes, Hashem, I did X, Y, and Z recently. But you know, I'm not turning to you for that, because I'm sure you could even, despite that, see me as unworthy. I'm turning to you because you're my father. I'm turning to you because you're my lover, you're my spouse, because of that relationship we have. I'm turning to you not transactionally, I'm turning to you out of love. In marriage, if you say, can you do my need A right now? Because yesterday, don't forget, I took out the garbage, I did the dishes, I brought home the paycheck, I went to shopping, I put the kids to bed last night, so you do tonight. You say, really? That's it? That's why? That's why? That's the? That's really the core of our relationship? So v'oeschanan The the notion of do it for free, reflects not a lower level. It's not that somebody is groveling, do it for free because they're a taker. It's the opposite. Do it for free because our relationship is on such a high, is on such a high level. So v'oeschanan l'ashem ba'iseh Moshe turns to Hashem and he davens. How many times did he daven? The the um, gematria, the numerical value of the word v'oeschanan is five hundred and fifteen. 515 times V'aschanan. Moshe turns to Hashem and he says, please, 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 make this person better. Please, please, please let this work out. Please, please, please come through. Please, please, please let me find my spouse. Let me have that baby. Let me make that simcha. Please let that person recover. Over and over and over and over and over again, the Medrash tells us v'eschanan 515 times. The gematria. 515 times he said to Hillam, 515 shmona Esra's, 515 Minyanim, 515 Tehillim gatherings. 515 times he poured out his heart in desperation. And the Medrash tells us even further. He said, Revonashallah, master of the universe, you know the effort and the sacrifices I've made for you, you know the suffering I've endured to lead your people, and is this the reward you give me after 40 years? Zutora Azushora. This is what I gave. This is how I sacrificed. And this is the reward that you say no, that you say no. Moshe's argument was compelling. His intent was pure. His request was reasonable and fair. And if anyone, if anyone could present a proper, near perfect prayer, it was Moshe Rabbeinu. It was Moshe Rabbeinu. He's Rabbeinu. He's our quintessential paradigmatic leader. He knew how to package and deliver the ultimate prayer. And he got to know. So you know what it makes us feel? Why bother? Why should I open my sitter? Why should I open my tail? And why should I make it to my minion? Why am I opening my heart and turning to God and praying? If Moshe could ask, and he was the highest level, the Avonavim, if Moshe was categorically superior and he was rejected, his heartfelt pre, his lifelong longing, and I, why should I bother? How does Hashem answer? Rav lachem Atosef. Enough! Stop asking! It's not happening! Now, how did Moshe take that news? How did Moshe respond to that answer of no? How did he react to Hashem ignoring those pleas? I'll tell you what's fascinating. Keep reading in the Chumash. Keep reading. Moshe turns 515 times. Hashem says, drop it. It ain't happening. And by the way, if you want, you could climb the mountain, give a look, west, east, north, south. And then the Torah goes on. Moshe then begins to instruct the people how to observe Hashem's laws. What what happened? What happened? That's pretty abrupt, considering it's Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe doesn't deserve a greater consideration. The Torah never tells us. The Chumash, the Torah, never tell us how Moshe responds. There's no report what he did next. Did he hang his head in shame for having asked all those times? Did he brazenly walk away frustrated and angry at Hashem? Did he lose faith in the power of prayer? How did he walk away? How did he walk away? You know, we're coming on the anniversary, it was the anniversary of the kidnapping and the loss of the two boys of, uh, six years ago, the three boys who were kidnapped and murdered. And while the three boys were still missing, Racheli Frankel, who many of us have heard and had been inspired by, went to the Kotel to Davin. In the Kotel Plaza, there were a group of children who were gathered to daven for her son and the other two. And impromptu, they asked her to address the boys that she did, and she said, I believe wholeheartedly that they will return, but whatever happens, remember, this was her message to them. And it remains her message to us. She told them, you must remember, God does not work for us. We work for him. God doesn't work for us. However this turns out, she told them while they were still missing. However this turns out, remember that God doesn't work for us. Hula We work for him. What poise and what strength and what faith, and that was what Moshe Rabbeinu showed as well. Because I heard that story several years ago, and I thought to myself, maybe that's what it means in the parsha. The Torah does tell us what happened next. You think it's absent? You think it's missing? You think we don't get filled in? We don't get to know? Perhaps, perhaps the Torah does tell us what happens next. Perik Dalad Pasuk Aleph, the very next section of our Pasha, still page 958 in the Arts, Crossed on And now, and now Jewish people, Shema l'achukim, listen to what Hashem expects of you, that I'm going to teach you. leman tich you, so that you live, Hashem so that you can merit to come. Moshe absorbs the news that Hashem has not requested to accept his request, and he turns to the people and he essentially tells them, listen, Hashem has expectations of you, of us. He gave us a prescription to how to live the most meaningful and purposeful life here on earth. l'achukim. Don't just observe them and keep them sh'ma. That word sh'ma doesn't just mean to listen. The word sh'ma doesn't mean to listen. Sh'ma ka'ona. Your Yoteh if you hear it, it's as if you said is only when you understand. Sh'ma, the word sh'ma means not just to hear, to listen audibly, it means To understand, says Moshe, don't just blindly observe. Shema, listen, study, analyze, plumb the depths. Seek to understand because God has given us the formula and the prescription for a meaningful and a purposeful life. He's told us how to get the most out of life and to give the most to life. Leman tichyu, you want to really be alive? The way to be alive is not to neglect your soul and to neglect him. The way to be alive is to nourish your soul and to nourish your relationship with Him. LeMan tichyu, do you want to be alive? Essentially, Moshe Rabbeinu pours out his heart 515 times. God says no. And you know what He does next? You know how He reacts? He turns to the people and He says, Hu la'oved b'shvilanu, anachtu ovdim b'shvilo. God doesn't work for us. We work for Him. And I have to tell you, that there are many people who right now are hearing no to their heartfelt pleas, and many people over these last four and five months have lost loved ones who've heard the answer of no to their heartfelt phylos and prayer. And tonight is the first site of a beloved and dear friend who heard the answer no, he and his family. And all of us who knew him and loved him were his family, and the answer was no. But like Racheli Frankel, and long before, like Moshe Rabbeinu, and more recently, like Baruch Tzvi ben Ruvei Nasan and so many others, when a Kaddish Baruch Hu sometimes says no, Va'ez is not only the formula for how to daven, but it's also the precedent and gives us the strength for how to take a no, how to get the answer of no, and to remember Kim hachukim Mishpatim. LeMan tichyu, the answer was no, now what? Now what? God forbid in the worst case we lost a loved one, in a lesser case went through a hard time, struggle or suffering, and the answer was no, and now what? And now what? Whether it was Esther Waxman who lost her son, or Racheli e. Frankel, or whether it was many others. Shma'al you want to live, we put one foot in front of the other. Rav Asher Weiss, Mori Vrabi Rav Asher Weiss was giving a shir tonight in uh, memory of Brian on his first year at In his Haggadah and elsewhere, he quotes the Kleisenberger Rebbe, his Rebbe, who lost his wife and 11 children. The Kleisenberger Rebbe lost his wife and 11 children in the Holocaust. And he said the following pshap, we say shema in our parsha. also. We have shema and via later in our parsha, And we have the custom, we take our hand and we cover our eyes while we say shema. And the classic reason offered of why we cover our eyes when we say shema is in order to eliminate the distractions. It's so important, it's so fundamental, we're biblically obligated to recite the shema. You have to shut out all the distractions happening around you. You take your hand and you cover your eyes. But the Kleisenberger Rebbe said that's not the reason. Because shema represents kabbalah's ol machu shemaim. Shema is, Hashem, I accept your yoke over me. I submit myself to you. And in order to do that sometimes, sometimes, said the Klesen Begareba, you have to cover your eyes. Sometimes to submit and sometimes to accept, you have to stop looking at what's happening around you. Because if you were to watch and look and perceive and feel, it'd be hard. And so we say Shema, we cover our eyes, because sometimes, sometimes, in order to be able to accept the yoke of heaven, from our limited finite perspective we have to cover and shield our eyes from the pain and the suffering and the loss that we see so that we can say that sense of that sense of Shema. and so our parsha according to the chaban is the formula for how to daven but i would suggest that it's also the formula and the precedent for how to react and respond when our davening is not accepted what do, where do we go when our davening the answer is the answer is no had another perspective We're going to get past the opening Pasuk. I know, we're almost halfway done. We're going to get past the opening Pasuk. I promise. The Tzanzer Rebbe had another perspective, Rechaim of Tzanz. And he said the following, You know what the words mean? They once asked the Rebbe, the Tzanzer Rebbe, What do you do before davening? What do you do? Hasidim generally daven some of them a little bit later because they're not sleeping in, but they're occupied with preparations and hachanas and getting ready in order to be able to daven most effectively, in order for the davening to be most meaningful. So they asked him, what do you do before you daven? And he answered, what do I do before I daven? I daven about my davening. I daven before I daven, that my davening will go well. And he said, that's the pshat, not pasuk. I turned to Hashem and I daven to Him. And what did I daven? That that in the moment I go daven, He gives me the words to daven. Sometimes you have to daven that you can daven. When people turn to me and they ask me, and not that I'm perfect, I've perfected this, I struggle daily myself. But they say, how can I focus and concentrate more in my davening? There are so many distractions, and so many are quarantining or locked down or still davening at home and don't have the benefit of a minion, of a chazan, of the environment of the Kedushas-based kinesis, of a shul. How do you concentrate in your davening when there are so many distractions? And I think that one of the answers and one of the strategies is that among the things we're davening for is to be able to daven. Among the things we're asking for is to daven effectively. I turned to Hashem and I daven that in the moment that I need to daven, that He gives me the words to be able to, to daven. I was once in New York on the night before I had the privilege of attending a meeting at the White House. And I went to the square Rebbe, who I have a relationship with for many years and occasionally visit and get brachas. and I happened to be visiting him that night before. So I asked what should, I, uh, what should I bring up? What does he think is important? What was critical at the time? And it was Parshas Va'aschanan. It was right before this Parsha, And he said to me, Va'aschanan al Hashem, Bo'ayisahi le'imor. Turn to Hashem and Bo'ayisahi, that when you're in that moment and at that meeting, lemor, he puts the words in your mouth of what to say. Sometimes we're going into a difficult conversation with a loved one, an effort to reconcile, a business meeting, a shidduch date. You're going into a difficult, difficult position and you're concerned Turn to Hashem and Davon, that in that moment, whatever the moment and whoever the audience lay more, among the things that we're allowed to ask Him, is to give us the right words to say, to say the right things at that time. Okay, moving right along. So, Moshe Rabbeinu takes the no, he turns to him and he says, You want to live, you want to be alive, listen to the chukim and mishpatim. It has been the prescription that has carried us throughout the generations. And by the way, again, I don't want to, we're going to sit on the floor this week. Mir Shem Hashem will come and we won't. But otherwise, we're scheduled to sit on the floor and to mourn and grieve the calamities and tragedies of Jewish history. And there are no shortage of them. Crusades and Inquisition and Holocaust, expulsions and exiles, oppression, persecution, murder, systematic attempts to exterminate. And you know what got us through it all? L'man tichyu. you want to stay alive? You want to survive? You want to get through it intact and for there to be a Jewish people and a Jewish story? You see, when you give up the chukim and mishpatim, when you stop listening and stop learning and stop observing and stop caring, then our people disappear. America is destroying us more than any enemy could before. Assimilation and intermarriage are by far eliminating our people at a faster rate and more devastating rate than any of our adversaries or enemies could before. If you want our people to live, to survive, to be alive, then listen to our listen. Listen. The world is looking around, trying to find meaning and purpose. Mental health challenges and family dissolving and marriages falling apart. Shmela chukim. The Torah gives us the answer. The Torah gives us the answer. Listen. The so that we live. Seif has within it all the answers. It's so magnificent, so beautiful. Don't add. You're not allowed to add to the mitzvahs. You're not allowed to take away from the mitzvahs. We move to Dalid, pasuk Vov. This parish is so rich. It's endless amount that we can talk about but a few lessons for today. Page 962. Page 962. This is a Pasuk which is very relevant right now. And it's being quoted often. Now this Pasuk is really taken, so to say, out of context. Because the Pasuk here is not talking about the way we often quote it. Take good care of yourself. It's a Jewish value. We are stewards over our body. They don't belong to us. We're not entitled to shorten our lives. Suicide is forbidden from the Torah, and any form of living, which in fact decreases our, life, our lifespan, is a form of, of suicide. You can't use and abuse your body. We have an awesome and great responsibility to take great care of our body, of ourselves. Even though again, this pasik is not really talking about this Moshe's warning of a danger. The people might be misled thinking that they heard Hashem's voice, they have been in physical uh, contact that's been produced, but it'd be heretical. The Ramban says that's what this pasik is talking about. It's talking about Harsinai. You might have thought Hashem spoke directly to you. Don't think that because you had an audience with the Almighty, that therefore you have license to do certain things. Be careful and protect and protect yourself. We quote it in the context of, wear a mask, socially distance, don't do behaviors which are dangerous. How does one protect themselves? Says a beautiful Imre Chaim. The Imre Chaim, the Vishnu Tzarebbe says homiletically, what should you safeguard and protect? Me'od. Why? What he interprets it to mean is, if you want to protect and safeguard yourself, yourself, then how do you do it? By being careful of your ma'od. What does that mean? He gives two pshatim, two interpretations. Number one, the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos tells us, ma'od, ma'od, ruach. One should be exceedingly humble. We know that our rabbis told us that there are two attributes, two character traits, which you should not walk the golden mean, but you need to be extreme. Be extreme not to anger, and be extremely humble. Ma'od, ma'od. So our rabbis tell us, Ma'od, Ma'od, very, very, be very, very humble. So says the Vishnetsu Rebbe, when the possek says, seichem, protect for your soul. You know what you need to protect? Preserve the Ma'od, preserve the humility. Whoever is arrogant, the Gemara Megillah test tells us, the arrogant person has a balmum. The arrogant person person who walks around with arrogance, who has an inflated ego, who thinks great of themselves. The arrogant person is a, has a character flaw, has a blemish. And therefore, you know what you need to do for your nafshoseichem? You need to protect the sense of ma'od. You need to be exceedingly, exceedingly humble. If you're going through life, you want your relationships to thrive. You want meaningful relationships. You want to get ahead. You want to succeed in life. It's not by inflating your ego and your arrogance and your sense of self, it's by doing the opposite. It's with humility. It's with a sense of humility. We'll come back to this later in the parsha with anochi Omed. We'll talk more Second shot of Vishnu Rebbe says. He says, We're gonna say later in the parsha, be hafta. What do we say? bechol bechol me'odecha. And rashi translates, what does it mean, Bechol me'odecha? You have to be willing to give your life, rashem. You have to be willing to give your heart for Hashem. And you have to be willing to be give, give ma'odachah. Ma'odachah means, ma'odachah means, ma'od, romez, lemamon. Be'chol ma'odachah means your money, your resources. E'en ha'nefesh shekholo li'o shlema'elum ke'n nishmar ha'mamon. Sh'amas ha'umatam hu be'amunah. Says the Vision When v'nishmartem ma'od l'naf shoseichim. You want to protect your nefesh? then you need to protect the ma'od, and ma'od can be either an allusion to humility, or ma'od can be an allusion to your money, mamon. Both your resource, your attitude towards your money, are you stingy or are you generous? Do you work hard or do you cut corners? The attitude we have to the money is what will impact and define it. Molds our character and molds our nefesh. So If you want to protect and preserve your nefesh, then be careful and protect the sense of ma'od, your humility and your resources. Protect your sense of money. Talad pasuk. Is that lamet? Kisol the part the part that we read on Tishab of morning. Is V'noshantem means it gets stale, it gets old, being in the land. We're beginning to suffer from this ourselves. After 1948, after 1967, the miracle of the modern state of Israel was fresh, was new, was worth singing halal and on. and then it gets old. And generations are born who never knew a world that didn't have access to Jewish sovereignty over the land. V'noshantem ba'aretz. the word noshantem means that it'll, you'll grow old. It grows old and it grows stale. And then you're going to uh, follow other values and other influences. And Hashem says, let heaven and earth testify for you today that when it gets old and stale and rote, when you stop appreciating and valuing the gift of being in the land of Israel, then you're going to be vomited from the land of Israel. You simply cannot, cannot continue there. The Torah tells us, B'atzar l'cha you know what's going to happen at the end of days. You'll be exiled from the land and you'll suffer. You'll be expelled. When you're in distress and all these things have fallen on you, you'll return to Hashem. Moshe Rabbeinu has a navua, This is not later in Tanakh, Nevi'im or Ksuvim. In Sefer Dvarim and Pashas V'Ezchanan, Moshe himself has this navua and prophecy that there will grow a time that you will roam the earth in exile. You'll be able to taste from all the other religions and values and cultures and then you know what's going to happen. There'll be a mass tshuva movement. There'll be a desire and a drive to come home to Hashem. You'll want to come home to Him. And you'll hear and you'll hear His verse voice. Says the What does that mean? Says the where does this movement, this mass tshuva movement? We're starting to see it. Number of Bale tshuva, they've experienced and experimented, they've tried what the world has to offer, and it leaves them feeling empty. And so there's a mass movement, and so many are credited, to Rebbe and Shlomo, and uh, Rav Noach Weinberg, and all these great leaders of the mass tshuva movement. Why? Because there was an ache, there was a spark, there was something inside them. You know where it comes from? From It comes from a sense of vishamata b'kolo. You're listening to his voice. Where do you hear his voice? Where do you hear his voice? That assimilated Jew. The Jew so distant and far, the Jew who has no education and yet feels driven, feels this pull, feels this magnetism to check out Judaism. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? So the vision of the Rebbe says, the pasuk is telling us, v'sha'vta'rashem l'kecha v'shamata Bikolo. V'shamata bikolo, you know where it comes from? The pintal yid is the sound of the voice of Hashem inside each and every one of us. The hirhure tshuva, the drive for more, for better, comes from the godly soul and the godly spirit inside us. V'sha'vta'rashem l'kecha im tashuv b'tshuva azaytizka v'shamata b'kolo. If you make that first move, if you make that first move, that longing, that desire, listen to that class. Go speak to that person. Go put on the tefillah, light the candles, do something. Then v'shamata b'kolo. When we make that first move, the Hashem Then we merit v'shamata bekolotitzka l'shmar al kol bechush yosher lo rak You won't just hear God in your imagination. You'll feel and see and palpably have an awareness of God communicating to you. V'az v'shamata, and then you will hear. When He calls you, you will come running. You'll have this burning desire to connect and to be with Him. But beforehand, what drives us to it is, From that place of exile, from that place of distance, we will seek Hashem. We're in Parak go back one Pasuk what will inspire the catalyst of the Veshavta Ad Hashem what will lead us to that mass movement is a feeling of Uvikashtem We're going to seek God. We're going to be searchers. We're going to be looking. We're going to be Mivakshem. We're going to have a desire for, to, to seek Hashem. Vikashtem Misham Hashem And when you seek and when you look, then U Matzasa. You see, Hashem is all around us. The world is filled with our ability to acquire Him. Every breath we take is present. Every sunrise, sunset, every moment of health in where our, and where our uh, faculties are working, it's a Kodesh Baruch He's all around us. Uvikashtem You have to look, you have to search. and you'll find him. Rabbi Salavichik wrote a whole book. An essay was written based on his insights into these very words, Uvikashtam Misham, from there shall you seek. It was translated into English, from there shall you seek. But I want to read to you from the Rav Chumash, Rabbi Salavichik's insight on these words, Uvikashtam Misham. And he says the following Judaism knows well the tensions and hesitations involved in the wearying search for God, as well as the joy and ecstasy of the search. All of the prophets called upon us to observe creation, to search out the secrets of the cosmic process, to observe the wellsprings of the world, and to uncover the hidden and obscure the glory of of the Creator's majesty, which hovers over mute creation. They all wove laurels for the searchers after God, both for those who seek Him within mechanical nature and its grey opacity, opacity for those who tear open the window to the wondrous higher realms of pure, utterly perfect being. Says the Rav, it's all around us. Somebody, a dear friend of mine, sent me a picture yesterday, first time holding his new granddaughter. And I look at that picture of this newborn baby and a grandfather, who was hoping and waiting for a healthy grandchild, and I say, There's the Rebbeinu, the V'kash to Misham. This person, you wonder, you look, you seek, you don't know if he's there, look into the eyes, look into the punim of that newborn baby, and you'll see HaKadosh Baruch Hu. he's all around us. Listen to how the Rav writes, by the way. A man who only learned English later in life. His grasp of the English language is so poetic, so beautiful. Tevar melch views creation primarily, primally, seeing the likeness of the Creator reflected in everything, and sings a majestic song. And on the night preceding the Yom no when the Jewish people recite Slichos. The beloved clings to her lover and pleads with him that her request should not be in vain and that he should present himself to her when she goes out to greet him. A whispered plea bursts forth and rises with the morning star that appears on the eastern horizon. Uvikashter misham. We seek, Hashem, you will find him, Matsasa. You attract us with an awesome, enormous power which no one can withstand. We hear your footsteps. You are very, very near to us. Please be here with us now tonight, the night of Slichos, the night clothed in the secret and mystery, the night of extensive grace and manifold mercies. Please appear when we seek you. The halacha approves of this confrontation between Hashem and man within the world. We are commanded to utter a bracha over every cosmic phenomenon, over the afterglow of the fiery sunset and the purple of the sunrise trickling along the mountaintops, over the rising moon sprinkling its pale light, over the stars and the courses and the comets leaping from clear space, over the sight of the rainbow and the clouds, over the thunder and lightning arising from the mist, over the budding trees and the sweet-smelling exquisite flowers, over the murmur of the ocean and the rushing of the surf, Upon eating water and bread, the fruits of the tree and the crops of the field, over the healthy body, created with wisdom, with his muscles and nerves, over the ability to move and to stand erect. In short, we utter a bracha over everything man encounters that demonstrates the power of creation. What is a bracha? Whether birchas hanenin, a bracha over something we imbibe, or birchas re'iya, a bracha over something we behold, if not praise and thanksgiving to Hashem for the nature of the world, a nature that changes. In the instant the bracha is uttered into a supernatural miraculous universe, if not the redemption of nature from its mutinous deprivation and solitude, if not the identification of the cosmic dynamics of the primordial will of the Creator, which has hidden and acts from within its hiding place on organic and inorganic matter, on animal, vegetable, and mineral. What does the bracha attest to if not the strange fact that in spite of the psychological law that habit and custom dull the subtleties of feeling and dim the alertness of the intellect and extinguish the flame of ecstasy, the Jew is enthusiastic about each and every phenomenon. Whew! What a beautiful insight. And what written so beautifully by the Rav. Every bracha that we say, a bracha on a cup of coffee, a bracha besamim on the fragrance, a bracha on the lightning and the thunder. Every bracha we say is observing the word at Misham. it is our effort to search for him and to find him behind it, behind all of that nature. What precipitates the catalyst for vishavta ad al what will lead us to return to him and the vishamata b'kolo, then to hear his voice through us is... Ubi kashtam misham, to be searchers and seekers, to look, and then if we look, we are guaranteed, says Hashem, to find. We will discover and we will find him. Our generation has grown somewhat stale, unimpressed. Eh, we see and we manufacture and we do. Maybe one of the maybe one of the if there are silver linings to the pandemic and the coronavirus, maybe it will successfully humble us, the humility that we so desperately need. Maybe it will humble us that we're not in charge and we don't control and we can't predict and we don't anticipate and therefore to look around in the world with a little bit more marvel and to be uvi Hashtab, to be seekers and searchers and to say, Hashem, where are you all around us? Where are you in creation and how can we find you? And how can we find you? Parak Pasik lamid Test. Keep going. Next page, 966, the Arts Girl Stone, Chumash. Here's a Pasik that we're familiar with from Aleinu. You should know this day and take to your heart that Hashem is the God. He's in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other God but Him. He is everything. He is not something. He is everything. The uh, Rav Aaron Karliner, the Karliner has a beautiful insight. He says homiletically the following, don't worry, I know we're sharing a lot of Chasidus. We're going to get to the Mepharshim section in a moment. no, v'hashivosa It's a very interesting pasach. Where does knowledge take place? Where would I think that you would place your knowledge? Where's the intellect? Where is cognition? It's in your head. I would think it would be v'yadah know no today, v'hashivosa, and put in your brain, put in your head. But where do you put it? In your heart. You know why? Because the knowledge that leads to action is the knowledge not of the head, but is the knowledge of the heart. How many people know about behaviors that are negative, that are poor, that are self destruction, that self sabotage, but they do them anyway? Because the farthest distance between any two objects on earth is the distance between a man's head and his heart. And therefore, the Torah understands this and says, Vyadatahayom, know today, Vahashevosa. And where do you need to insert that knowledge? Not in your head. It's a knowledge that needs to trickle down to your heart. That's number one. Number two, and we don't have time for this, but we could expand on it another time. Are you meant to have faith in God? Is there a leap of faith that you have to take? Are we a group, a nation of believers, blind faith that there is a God, that there is a deity? Not according to this Pasuk. The Pasuk says, hayom." You know today. There's a God in heaven and earth. Relationship with God is not based on faith or belief, it's based on knowledge. Examine the evidence and you will conclude. There is as much evidence and overwhelming, compelling evidence for God's existence as there is for anything else in your life. We don't have time right now to share it, and I bet I've piqued your curiosity for another time. But there is as much evidence for God's existence as there is for anything else. And how do I know that? This Pasuk. You can know. It doesn't say believe today. It doesn't say have faith today. It says know today. Know today and place it in your heart because you can have an absolute knowledge that God exists. The same compelling evidence for anything else exists for this. That was number two. Number three, says Rav Karliner, when you know well, and you put it into the recesses of your heart, that that there is a God in the world, He created everything, He has dominion and providence over everything. He's in the heavens above and the earth below. Then... Ain od. Then you will not need or search or submit to anything else in this world. You will not be impressed by, you will not pursue, you will not bow down, you will not defer because Ain od. Via data, look around this world, do Vikashtim, be a searcher, Matzasa, find Hashem, and via data, then you will know. And when you know, you will then put in your heart. And when you put it in your heart, then you will confidently walk around life saying Ain od mil vado. Ain'od milvado. Einod. There is no one, there is nothing. The Nefesh Rachaim Rechaim brings down, we've studied this in our Amunashir countless times, that a person who feels they're stuck, a person who feels that they're struggling should simply recite, Ain'od milvado. Ain'od milvado. Od milvado. There is nothing but him, there is nothing but you. You are everything. Ain'od milvado. B'yal art mitachas Einod. Einod. My friend Chaim points out, The Rambam, Leidash shei Matsoi Rosh Rishon, the first mitzvah, you have to know Leda. You can have knowledge that there is a first cause. You have knowledge that there is a God, that there is Hashem. It's not faith. It's not a belief we could have knowledge. I want to tell you an insight of Rav Yosef Chaim of Baghdad, otherwise known as the Ben Yehoyada. The Ben Yehoyada, in his commentary on the Gemara Baba Basra, says the following about this Pasuk. It says, It says, and the simple understanding is you can know that there's a God, there's a God who's in the heaven above and He's on the earth down below. But the Ben Yehoyada of Yosef Chaim of Baghdad says the following. He says perhaps what it means is the following. When it comes to heavenly aspiration, when it comes to ruchnius, when it comes to growing spiritually, hashamayim shamayim Look up. Look up to the people who are greater, who are better, who are further along, and look up to them as role models. Try to be like them. And when it comes to the matters which are mitachas, when it comes to the earthly physical matters, look at the Aretz. V'yallah Aretz mitachas. Look at those who have less than you. This is the formula, the secret to happiness in life. The secret to happiness in life is when it comes to Rukhni, look up. Look at people who have more than you and say, I want to daven like that. I want to learn like that. I want to do chesed like that. I want to have a muna like that. ha and shamayim when it comes to heavenly matters, mima'a, look up. When it comes to the earthly matters, when it comes to physical things, look at those who have less than you and be satisfied with what you have. And with that, he explains the Gemara in Baba Basra, which is why his comment is there, Ben Yoda, Harotza Shayachim Yadrim, the Shayashir The Torah journal that our Beis Medrash, thanks to the Shabtai brothers who edited, put out every year, the beautiful Yadrim, is named Yadrim on this Gemara. Because the Gemara says, Harotza Shayachim, one who wants to grow wise, Yadrim, look south. And he wants to grow wealthy. That's why the rabbi sits to the left of the Arun Kodesh. And the Shul president sits to the right of the Arun Kodesh. Because the Arun Kodesh, at least in Chutzlar, is where we are, faces east. So when the rabbi davens towards the Arun Kodesh, he's looking where? If the Arun is east, he's looking south. Because he's davening for chokhmah, for wisdom. The rabbi wants to grow smarter. The Shul president, who's responsible for the finances of the Shul, he faces, he sits to the right of the Arun Kodesh. When he davens, and faces the Aron Kodesh. He's facing north. Yatbin, Yasha yatzbin. So the Rabbi, you want to yachkim is Yadrim. He looks to the south. And the Shul President is responsible for the finances. He wants to Yashir, He wants to he Wants to grow wealthy. Yatsbin, He faces the north. So says Rabbi Yosef Chaim. Says the Ben, ben Yehoyada. Uh, if you want to grow wise, face the south. If you want to become rich, you face the north. If you want greater wisdom and toward knowledge, look to the south and feel humble. Look like you have much more to achieve and grow. And if you want greater wealth. Look north and feel that you are above, that what you have is what you need, and you should be satisfied with it. It is enough for you. Okay, moving right along, the Torah now tells us, Az Yavdil Moshe, we're up to the Ari Miklat. Az Yavdil Moshe, Shalash Aram Ivar Yadim Izrach Shemesh, Az. What is this word Az doing here? The Koyakar is bothered by the presence of the word Az. Az Yavdil Moshe. Why Az? We were already given the mitzvah of, of, uh, of the um, Ari Miklat at the end of Sefer Ba'Midbar. So, what do you mean now, Az? What do you mean now, Az? What's the connection between the Ari Miklat and the section we just read about coming back to Hashem and returning to Him, and Hashem is in the heavens above and the earth below? And what does this word Az mean? The Gemara Makos tells us that a mitzvah, that you have the opportunity to begin, even if you can't finish it, you should still start it. You should still start it. As we see with David, who tells his son Shlomo, David began the foundation of the Beis HaMetosh even though he knew he couldn't complete the project. The person who plants the Esro tree, even though they know they won't benefit from the fruit in their lifetime, we have the opportunity to do something. Do it. Don't wait. Don't procrastinate. Don't be lazy. And don't only do the things that you reap the fruit of. You have the opportunity to do something. Do it. And says the Kliyakar, that's what the word Az here is teaching us, that even though Moshe Rabbeinu would not complete, the Ari Miklat would not kick into action till the other three were set up and established on the western side of the Jordan, but nevertheless Az Yavdel Moshe. Moshe here had the opportunity to separate the Ari Miklat on the eastern side of the Jordan of the Yarden. and says the Kliyakar, that is the message of, of the word Az, that Moshe did not hesitate, he didn't demur. he didn't pause. Moshe Rabbeinu had the opportunity to begin a mitzvah that even though he knew he couldn't complete, nevertheless Nevertheless, he got it started. One of the laws of an ear miklat is that the person who is in the ear miklat is there, stays there until the coin guddle dies. What is the connection? This is the second time that I'm going to run out of time and I can't tell it to you. There's a beautiful piece by Revolba and a beautiful maharal, but we're going to skip it because I want to get to something else before we end today. But remind me, next year, Parshas Matas Masayi or Parshas Vaschan, both which have the Ari Miklat in it, we'll come back to it then. Parakeh Pasakeh. Parakeh... Hey. Here we have the introduction to the Aseres HaDibros. The Aseres HaDibros. We know that the Decalogue is repeated twice. Parshat and Parshat Vaschanan. If Vaschanan represents Moshe's soliloquy, his monologue, Moshe is reviewing all the seminal moments of Jewish history until that time. Among them, if not foremost among them, is Kabbalah Satorah, Is HaKadosh Baruch who's uh, giving us his sacred Torah. So we have a repetition. And of course, there's so much to stay in the contrast between the way that the Aseris and Dibrus appear in Yisro and in Vezchanan, there are some subtle and some not so subtle differences between them, and we have a lot to learn from the way that they appear. So, in the introduction to it, it says the following: Moshe is reminding them of what it was like. You, we, we were there. We're the ones he made the covenant with. Face to face, God, in an unprecedented and unrepeated way, God spoke to you. God spoke to you with a level of revelation that has never happened again. And then Moshe says, I stood between you and Hashem in order to communicate His will to you. Because you were afraid. You were afraid. God spoke to you the first couple dibros. You couldn't take it. You were afraid. So I was the intermediary. I was anochi omeid ben Hashem uvenechem. I stood between you in order to be able to communicate Hashem's will, Hashem's will to you. This is a beautiful insight that is quoted in the name of the Baal Shem Tov. It's quoted in the name of the Baal Tanya. What does it mean, anochi omeid ben Hashem Venechem. This idea of anochi omeid. This idea of anochi omeid. The simple understanding, as we just said, it is anochi omeid. You were afraid of Hashem, so Hashem, so Moshe says, I stood between you. But the Baal Shem Tov. Batania is Talmud. The Alter Rebbe is Chassid. Explain a little bit differently. What does it mean, Anochi? Let's go back. Anochi Hashem L'kecha, The first of the Aseret Hadibros that we have is Anochi Hashem L'kecha, The Ten Commandments. Now go and asserts that these ten are not ordinary mitzvos. They're not like the other six hundred and three, but rather these ten commandments in our parsha. They're categories. They're archetypes, and all the rest of the mitzvos can be categorized under them, and they're contained within them. And even within the Ten Commandments, even within the Yasser HaDibros themselves, says Rav on something incredible. All of the Dibros, all of Tariag Mitzvah, all of totality of Torah is captured in the one word that introduces it all, Anochi. Anochi Hashem Elokecha. I am the Lord your God. Anochi I. A person who accepts Hashem's I, Anochi, if we see Hashem in this world and in our lives, if we understand who He is and we understand what He brings to our life, Within the word Anochi, I is the whole of Hadibros. Within the Aseret Dibros is the whole Taryag Mitzvos, is the entire Taryag Mitzvos. So, um, Anochi, our whole life is Anochi, is Anochi. In our parsha, when Moshe delivers this final monologue, and he reviews the experience of Matan Torah, he says Anochi Omeid Ben Hashem Anechem. So the Baal Shem Tov says Anochi Omeid. You know what stands between a person and Hashem? Anochi, the other Anochi. You see, there are two Anohis in our life. There's the Anohi of Anohi Hashem alokecha. There's the Anohi of that there's a God. Do we see Him? Do we feel Him? Do we defer to Him? Do we submit to Him? Do we accept Him? Do we love Him? Do we invest in our relationship with Him? There's an Anohi of Anohi Hashem alokecha, But there's another Anohi competing with that Anohi. The Anohi, Omeid ben Hashem And the other Anohi that's competing is the Anohi that stands between Hashem. And that's the Anohi of our sense of I, our sense of self our sense of ego. Someone once wrote a letter to the Le Babach Rebbe, and the letter said the following, quote, I'm in a state of sadness. I wake up every morning dreading the day ahead. I find that nothing lifts the clouds of gloom. I try various distractions. I pray, but inspiration doesn't come. I need the rabbi's help and advice. And the rabbi sent him a very brilliant reply without even writing one word. He took his pen and he circled the first word of every sentence in the other person's letter. And the first word in the first sentence, the first word of every sentence in the person's letter was the word, I, and the message the Rebbe was sending back to him is, when every sentence of your life begins with the word, I, Anochi, then it's, O'meid ben It's going to stand between you and everyone else. It's going to stand between you and everyone else. The second of the Eseris Adibros, that you're not allowed to have another God, the Gemara answers, the Gemara asks, what foreign God lives among you that you have to be instructed to avoid? The Gemara in Shabbos, Kofhei. And the Gemara says, the, the Ego the inflated and distorted sense of self, the urge and the drive to only care about ourselves and our happiness and our things and our honor, that anokhi of who we are, it stands in the way. It stands in the way. And so Anochi Omeid, Ben Hashem of Anechem, Moshe Rabbeinu was telling him, Anochi Omeid, that sense of Anochi, the wrong Anochi. You could live your life with the correct, the right Anochi, the Anochi of Anochi Hashem of or you could live your life with the wrong Anochi, the Anochi Omeid, that sense of ego. So back to the Venishmartim, Meod Lenaf Shosechem, the choice, the choice ultimately is ours. Oi! 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 I wanted to get to so much more. In the Asar Sadibras, Zacharta Kiev Reisa, Rabbi Salavitchi got a beautiful insight about Shabbos. tosef Hosef There's the Shabbos that Hashem gives to us. There's the Shabbos that we create. And most of all, I wanted to get to V'asisa Hayasheh V'hatov. Perek Vav Pasuk Yud This, I think, is the bumper sticker in the model mission statement of every Jew. V'asisa Hayasheh V'hatov Hashem. This is how you should live your life, is by stopping and asking yourself each and every moment, what does Hashem want from me? Do what is on the right, on the right, on the, on the right and straight and narrow. There's a beautiful Ramban. A beautiful Ramban on this Pasuk. What is this Mitzvah? What is it filling in? And I was going to give some of the halachic application of but we're out of time. Look at the Ramban. It's an absolute must-see to know what this Pasuk really means. Mirza Hashem will pick up next week. Uh, Please stay tuned over the next several weeks whether class is on or off. Next Tuesday night Mirza Hashem is my daughter's wedding. I still plan on giving the Parsha class that morning but only if I am able to, uh, if I'm able to schedule it to make it happen. So please stay posted to the announcements, whether class is on or off. As of now, it is intended to be on. Uh, Join us tonight, Rav Asher Weiss at 8.45, the first Yerudzite Shir in memory of Brian Gabba, tomorrow morning, Maseel Susharim 8.15, Living with Amuna 8.45, tomorrow morning, and our introduction to Eicha tomorrow evening. Uh, wishing everyone a good week and a happy week, a holy week, a healthy week, and please God, we should be celebrating the rest of the week in Yerushalayim Rebuilt, in Yerushalayim Irak Kodesh.